Here we are, episode number four. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is Tell It Straight. My name is Philip Mona. A um, bunch of shakeups around the league this week. I'm going to talk about those. I'm going to talk about what it takes, in my opinion, to win a Super Bowl as far as positional talent. And I'm going to talk about the game today. Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I'm recording this a little bit later than I had hoped. New job and the third week of the semester have kind of snuck up on me. So I've just been a little bit preoccupied with those. But I'm excited to get into this today. One thing I did want to talk about first, kind of as a little tribute before I get started. If you're familiar with um, NFL.com, there's a few writers There's around the NFL podcast. It's hosted by Dan Hansis, Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler, and Chris Wessling. And um, it, I just found on Twitter this morning that Chris Wessling passed yesterday at 46 years old. And I just want to say um, deeply sorry for his family. He, it's Whenever, anytime you go, it's too young. Cancer's awful thing that everyone's been dealing with. And um, Chris Wessling, I was just blown away by the amount of tweets that I saw from verified NFL talk heads and things. And they say that you can kind of quantify someone's life meaning in the lives they touch around them. And if that's the case, then what a, what a life um, Chris Wessling had. And um, I'm just deeply saddened to see him go because he seems like a great guy. I haven't really followed around the NFL podcast extensively um, over the past couple years, but... I mean, it's just really sad and um, seems like a great guy. And I'm really just disappointed to hear that, especially when you, I mean, just talent as a writer, um, journalism, stuff like that, just just sad to see. So uh, prayers go out to their family. So on a less somber note, I'm going to get into the things I want to talk about today. And that's NFL coaches um, sinking or swimming based off of their guy. And I'm going to use that term a lot. What that means is each coach has their own scheme that they like to run um, for offense or defense. And usually teams will be reluctant to fire them if they haven't had a chance to get the guy that they've wanted um, that they can handpick. Because sometimes you'll have situations where with the Rams, Jared Goff was drafted first overall. He had a really tough time on a really bad team. Um, and Jeff Fisher was fired after like his... However many, he, he was laughed there for a while for going, he gets like seven and nine over and over. But he probably had like four uh, seasons in a row that were right around that record. Um, so they finally pulled a plug on him and they hired Sean McVay to resurrect um, Jared Goff's career, which he did. And that's super interesting because just recently, um, McVay had had enough Jared Goff and he traded him to, uh, well, he's not the GM, but he was clearly disagreements there. He wasn't satisfied with Goff's performance and that led to him being traded to Detroit along with two first rounds and I believe a third for Matthew Stafford. So it's I'm really curious to see how this plays out um, because each quarterback, I mean, it's just rare you see quarterbacks get traded, especially starting caliber quarterbacks and especially quarterback for quarterback, not straight up because there was picks involved here, but it's just, it's just kind of rare. The only other times you see stuff like that is with, um, I mean, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, and Eli Manning. There was a trade shakeup there. Uh, early in the 2000s and stuff, but it's just not often you see quarterbacks get shipped around like that. So I'm curious to see whether Matt Stafford does good because every coach, like I said, wants that guy to fit their scheme, and Jared Goff just wasn't doing it for McVay. So we'll, I'm curious to see uh, how how Stafford does because Stafford's been on a really, really bad Detroit team for his entire career and hasn't really complained much about it, um, even though he's been a very consistent, solid Pro Bowl level player. So I'm curious to see if, uh, if McVay and... Stafford working together can get the Rams um, further in the playoffs than they were this year. You see another example. 
um, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen is his guy. They unquestionably, um, well, they traded up from number 12 to number seven to get him. And I'll tell you why they knew he was their guy before the draft. I'm not sure if they would have, if what have, if the Bills coaching staff liked Baker Mayfield or not. So a lot of teams were surprised that Baker Mayfield went number one uh, to Cleveland in that draft. But the reason why I can tell that the Bills um, wanted Josh Allen specifically out of all the quarterbacks in that draft is because they also made another trade up later in the first round to get Tremaine Edmonds. So that shows me that one, the GM Brandon Bean was not only willing to make trades to get the guys that he wants, but also he had more capital to use and a quarterback being a more important position. He could have traded up higher from um, higher than number seven. If um, Josh, if they thought that Josh Allen wasn't going to be able to fall that far um, to get or whatever quarterback that they would have wanted, but it obviously was Josh and they've stuck with him. Another example um, earlier back in 2015, Chip Kelly, he was kind of taking over the league with his hurry up offense um, that he ran at Oregon and every quarterback or every coach wants their guy. And Nick Foles, even though he'd been pretty successful to that point, was traded for Stan Bradford um, from the Rams. And neither one really worked out for each team. And Chip Kelly ended up being fired, mostly because he shipped out a bunch of other quality players um, that didn't really fit into the scheme the way he imagined and just made some bad moves. Chip Kelly, in my opinion, as a head coach, was really good. Chip Kelly, the GM, not so good. But quarterbacks or teams want their guy. Another example Arizona Cardinals, they traded their former 10th overall pick, Josh Rosen, to Miami. It's rare that you see a quarterback get traded or given up on, rather, a year after they're drafted. Not to mention drafted top 10. So that was just wild. Um, so he, they were able to ship him to Miami for a two. And then they took Kyler Murray first overall. Um, not in that order. They actually they drafted Murray first overall. And then they traded Kyle, or Rosen to... Um, to kind of to, that way you eliminate any kind of QB controversy and you don't make the quarterback that you're just taking feel like they have to compete with anybody else on the roster, um, which in my opinion is a smart move. And then it, I'm interested to see what other, else happens um, as far as rumors go. You have Matt Nagy potentially trading for Carson Wentz. Matt Nagy, the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Mitchell Trubisky, not his guy. And Matt Nagy, he's been on the hot seat, but again. Owners are really willing to give the coaches leeway until they find the quarterback that they want, that they think they can be successful with. And usually coaches won't get dragged down and fired unless the quarterback that they personally selected also fails under their leadership. So that'll be interesting. Another one, John Gruden potentially trading Derek Carr, um, whether he has a guy in the draft that he likes or there's another quarterback out there. Um, I mean, Deshaun Watson potentially could go to the Raiders if or, we'll see. I mean, Kirk Cousins might be moved in Minnesota, but it's just it seems like a lot of teams are willing to be upfront about the fact that they want to upgrade a quarterback or just a change of scenery. And John Gruden, um, another offensive minded quarterback similar to um, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona, you know, coaches, they got to have the guy that they want. Um, and teams are very willing to give the coaches patience. Um, even if their team's not performing up to the standards, until they get the guy that they want. So that that's just something interesting I, I saw around the NFL. Um, that the requirement for uh, for coaches changes based off of the personnel and if they selected them or not. Another thing I want to talk about is um, the defensive requirements to win championships. In my opinion, and when I say defense, I kind of mean um, special teams as well because. If you have an outstanding defense and your special teams are bad, that's not a good combination. Special teams can make or break a Super Bowl caliber team. 
So I'm going to give a few examples of teams that defenses carried for the most part. Two of these actually more examples of defenses carried, but defense that carried as much as I'll just say closing out the game. Um, it's very important. You can't, I mean, they say defense win championships and that's kind of an old school mentality, but it is real. And it just, it, it has, you have to have it. And if you have a bad defense, you won't win the Super Bowl. Um, there's been plenty of teams that have been really, really explosive on offense, but if your defense is just giving up chunks and chunks of yards and, and scores, you have to win shootouts constantly. And it's very hard to consistently win shootouts in the NFL. Um, there's only a certain amount of players that are able to elevate their team enough to be able to do things like that. And uh, it's just it's just not frequent. So this is my blueprint for positional talent that teams need in order to be able to win and close out a Super Bowl. Um, so if you were going to grade a player like a B plus A minus graded players at um, at every level of the defense, I think you need examples. I'm going to use. I'm going to talk about the 2013 Seahawks, the 2014 Patriots, and the 2015 Broncos, all teams that won the Super Bowl. So you need two elite edge rushers. So whether they're playing um, so in a three four or a four three defense, that means that you either have your outside linebackers or defensive ends playing as the edge. Um, so without getting too much into scheme. That's what I mean there. So two elite edge rushers plus one, what I call a pocket pusher to provide interior pressure. So whether it's a defensive tackle and a four, three or, or a defensive end in a three, four, you need a big guy in the middle, not only to stop the run, but to push the pocket because quarterbacks like to be able to step up. That's how they, when you take the snap as a quarterback, you drop back. If the edge pressure is coming around, you step up in the pocket, you make the throw. If you got a big, if you got someone in your face constantly, I mean, Tom Brady's a perfect example of a quarterback that really struggles with interior pressure because he's so, or excuse me, so good at moving around in the pocket that um, if you, if, if that takes away one of your big lanes, it's really, really tough to move. So two elite edge rushers plus one interior pocket pusher. The second thing is at least you have to have at least two starting caliber corners um, that can cover a number one and a number two receiver or two upper end corners. And that's just huge because if you don't have those, I'm going to talk about some teams that were exposed. Um, you got to have, you got to have it. Just, you can't be giving up. I mean, passing the NFL is geared towards passing nowadays. If you're not able to, play pass defense because one of your corners is a liability, you're going to lose because teams will target that, especially in the playoffs. And then you have to have average or better linebackers. The examples of the teams that I'm going to use um, have really exceptional linebackers, but you have to be able to at least at minimum be good at run defense because defenses that give up big chunks of runs don't win Super Bowls. You have to be able to stop the run when you need to. You have to be able to stop the run, period. If you if you even get to the Super Bowl, you definitely were able to stop the run in crucial moments. And um, linebackers are one of the most important things to that. D-line, linebackers, the front seven is just obviously key to being able to stop the run on defense. So I'm going to go over some of these examples now. So the Seahawks in 2012, they won 48, excuse me, 43 to 8 versus Denver. And um, I mean, their defense dominated that game. Peyton Manning led offense in Denver, um, one of the most explosive offenses in NFL history. They came in and they just got shellacked. Um, it was just a beatdown. It was embarrassing for the Broncos. And um, I was really disappointed because I like Peyton Manning. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch when he played. And man, the Seahawks just gave it to him. And this is, and here's why. They had just so much talent. 
So the D-line, you had Cliff Averill, who um, he, he just retired recently um, within the last couple of seasons, but he was a really, um, really good speed rusher around the edge um, in his prime. Then you had Michael Bennett, who was really good, really versatile player, Michael Bennett. He could play inside at D-tackle. He could play outside at the end. He was really, really solid, um, played with a lot of passion, who I, which I like. And then Brandon Meebane at defensive tackle, who was a solid player. And then you had Bruce Irvin, who played linebacker, but they really kind of used him mostly as a pass rusher. Um, but that was the Seahawks D-line for their 2012 Super Bowl. Pretty formidable. Then their corners, you had Richard Sherman, who had proclaimed himself as the best corner in the game right around that point. And in his prime, he was the best corner in the game. Richard Sherman, um, in his own cover three, which... Um, so zone corner is a little bit different than man corner. Some people like to compare, and whether say Richard Sherman or Darrell Revis were like the best corners at the time. Um, Skip Payless uh, from Undisputed used to get into that argument. Actually, as a side note, if you uh, looking for some entertainment, it was really funny. Skip Bayless likes to kind of stir the trash a little bit. Um, as far as like I mentioned um, in my earlier episode, kind of crap talking NFL players just for the ratings. Well, Richard Sherman went on Undisputed, um, or it might have been just Fox Sports at that time, a different station but he i mean he completely tore skip bayless apart he was like i'm better at life than you um you know i'm a nfl player first team all pro uh he's going over all his accomplishments uh, accomplishments i mean he he's a stanford graduate um so that was just really funny to watch as a side note so if you have some time go check that out on youtube pretty funny but going anyways coming back to the seahawks defense um richard sherman of it like i said Number one corner, Byron Maxwell. He was a really solid number two corner. He played definitely his best years in Seattle. Um, he ended up being traded to Philly later on, and they viewed him as a number one corner, and that did not work out. He wasn't the number one corner, but he was good enough to be a number two, and that's what you need um, to win Super Bowls. You need a, you need a solid number one, and you need a above average number two. And um, I mean, Byron Maxwell, when he was on Philly, just got torched, I mean, by Julio Jones and other number one receivers. Um that didn't work out for him. But in the Seahawks scheme, he did well. And and then the third corner, who's, who wasn't bad at all, Brandon Browner. I mean, a big hitter. Anytime you have big hitters on your defense, it just sets the tone. And Brandon Browner was uh, definitely a solid player for them for that. Safeties. Here's some good ones. Uh, Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. Viewed as, at the time, the best free safety and the best strong safety in the game um, at their respective positions. I mean, Earl Thomas just flew around the field. Just, um, it just the highest motor of any players I've watched um, in a long time. And Cam Chancellor, they called him Bam Bam Cam. I mean, the guy would literally just truck the crap out of you. He just lights out. If you're catching the ball over the middle, you were scared. Go back and watch Cam Chancellor highlights um, if you have time because, I mean, that man was a killer on the field. Just an exceptional player. It was disappointing that he had to retire early with um, with injuries because he was just really, really solid. Um Man, what a their defense just was their 2012 defense was top five all time, no doubt. Um, and then get the linebackers. Um, not yeah, not to mention the linebackers. <laughs> Bobby Wagner, who is probably a top three linebacker for the last ten years in the NFL. KJ Wright, who's coming to his own the last few seasons, and then Malcolm Smith, who won the Super Bowl MVP that year. Um, he forced a fumble. He had a pick six um, all over the field. So you need depth at all those positions because if one of those positions are lacking, you're not gonna win. Um, the Super Bowl. You need you need all of those positions to have, um, like I said, two elite edge rushers um, and an interior pocket pusher, two solid corners, maybe a number one and a number two, maybe two um, like B plus players, 
Um, safeties, got to have um, two good ones. They did with uh, Earl, Earl and Cam. And uh, linebackers, got to be able to stop the run. And Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, Malcolm Smith are all can stop the run and play very um, solid pass coverage. So they were a great example there. The next defense I'm going to talk about um, that carried their team to a Super Bowl, 2015 Broncos. In my opinion, the best defense of all time. I knew that they were going to be good. I was watching the preseason game. I think it was like week two or week three. I remember watching Von Miller and Demarcus Ware just chase Russell Wilson around. It was a preseason game, so you never you want to put too much stock into those. But I could tell right off the bat these guys are going to play this year. Um, whenever you see in the first quarter, that's when the teams put out their starters for preseason. It was going to be something good, and it was. Uh, it definitely lived up to the expectations. The, the D-line for them, like I said, Von Miller and Demarcus Ware playing outside linebackers as pass rushers. Um, and then their depth, I don't know, it's Shaquille Barrett. He was, he was their third rotational player, which just goes to show um, how, how deep they were at pass rusher. And if that name sounds familiar, yes, that's the, game, that's the same uh, Shaquille Barrett that led the league in sacks in 2019 with Tampa Bay. Um, and then their interior pocket pushers, prime Derek Wolf and Malik Jackson. Um, just, yeah, really solid defensive line. And it, they needed to be not even solid. They were exceptional. Von Miller won MVP of the Super Bowl that year because um, he forced two strip sacks. Um, one was recovered for a touchdown. They I mean that defense just I can't speak enough how insane um, they were to watch. Just exceptional. So their corners, they had their corners. I think even though you had Von Miller, who was probably the best pass rusher um, that year in the NFL. I mean, their corners were right up there behind them. You had to keep to um, who was still in his prime. Chris Harris Jr., who was, like, rated. Uh, I'm not sure if Pro Football Focus was that that um, popular at the time, but I remember seeing a rating that he was um, he had the highest coverage rating of, of all cornerbacks in the NFL. He played slot corner a little bit, but he was also able to play outside. That's Chris Harris Jr. And then Bradley Roby, um, who was a below average number one quarter uh, corner or a solid number two. And he had to cover the number three receiver because he's third in the depth chart. The Broncos defense, they would, can literally just play, and it's rare that you see teams that are able or talented enough to just play man coverage across the board and just beat your guys and just straight up say, listen, our guys are better than your guys at covering. Um, we're going to stuff you, play press man to the line of scrimmage, and our pass rushers are going to get there. And that's what they did. Um, and the defense was just lights out. And their safeties, Darian Stewart and TJ Ward. Uh, TJ Ward, they called him the warden. He was a big hitter. It's, it's uh, a common theme. You have a tone setter. Um, as far as um, defense for these defenses, because whenever you have big hitters, like I say, set the tone for the game. They bring a lot of passion and juice, and that really helps the rest of the defense get going. Um, TJ Ward was that for the Broncos. Darian Stewart, um, a little bit slept on. That was probably his best years when he was in Denver. Not an exceptional free safety, but good enough, definitely. And the linebackers. Um Good at stopping the run. Brandon Marshall, um, not the same Brandon Marshall's wide receiver that was on the Bears and Jets, um, but the exact same name. And then Todd Davis. These are uh, linebackers, like I mentioned. They're not exceptional, but they they did enough to to win. And stopping the run um, is what they were good at, and that's what it was. Danny Trevathan as well for the Broncos linebackers was solid. I believe he got injured. Um, I could be wrong, but he was another good run stuffer, uh, kind of a big hitter there. So that's, that's my second example. You need all those, the three layers of defense, D-line, linebackers, and secondary. You have to have quality players at those positions. And these defenses carried, the last one I'm going to give an example of, 
Um, the Patriots defense in 2014, um, they didn't carry, but they did enough to close out the game. And that's what you need. If you're going to win a Super Bowl, you have to have a defense that is able to close out the game. So I'm going to move on to that, that last example. So the Patriots in 2014. Now, yes, Patriots have Tom Brady. Their offense has um, was never carried by any means. But I'm going to go ahead and say the defense won them this game. And if you watch the game, do you remember then the big Russell Wilson interception? Um, it was a it was a huge controversy because you had Marshawn Lynch, who was arguably the best running back in the league um, for the Seahawks in the backfield. And on the one-yard line, instead of just running the ball in, taking the lead, and probably winning the game, they decided to pass. And Belkin Butler came in. Um, he hadn't played, I don't think, uh, like more than one or two other snaps all game. And they put him in, and he intercepted. Um, he made a great play, jumped in front of Ricardo Lockett, and um, intercepted the ball. It's just an exceptional play. Um, rare. You never see stuff like that often. But I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think it's um, too controversial to say that the defense won them this game um, because it, it would, you weren't going to drive the field um, versus Seattle and and score points um, after after if they ran the ball in there. So their D-line, you had Rob Ninkovich, who was a mainstay for the Patriots for a bunch of years at um, that kind of outside linebacker defensive end position. He was He's a solid pass rusher. Vince Wolfork. Um, he played nose tackle for them. I mean, if you ever see, if Google a picture of Vince Wilfork, the guy's like at least 500 pounds. He's just a huge man, um, ridiculous um, size. His strength is, is was solid, um, really good at stopping the run, but not too bad as a pass rusher either. Um, he definitely could get his nose in there. And then Chandler Jones, who played that same kind of outside linebacker, pass rusher. Um, Chandler Jones, another one, another sack leader. Um, he was the... Sack leader in 2017 with the Cardinals, I believe. And, yeah, it's just really good um, defense. And then you had Jamie Collins, who was another uh, – he was a hybrid linebacker, kind of in that same – like I mentioned earlier with Bruce Irvin and the Seahawks, where they – he's a linebacker um, on the depth chart, but they really just rush him um, a lot on passing downs. But, yeah, solid D-line to say the least. Then your corners. Darrell Rivas, number one. If you haven't heard of Darrell Rivas, you haven't been paying attention to football in the last decade because Darrell Rivas is probably one of the best corners of all time, um, if not the best of all time. Uh, he's got, they call him Rivas Island, um, which if you ever have a, <laughs> if you ever have a nickname like Island as a corner, that means that you're locking people down because you're out there, what they call on an island by yourself, me versus you, and Darrell Rivas would shut down number one receivers consistently. Um, no matter whether it was with the Jets early in his career with the Bucks, um, as he was, and then the Patriots. When he his, his second stint with the Jets wasn't so well. Um, he got tore up by some receivers like Sammy Watkins, but he was also old and kind of washed at that point. But when he was in his prime, Darrell Rivas, probably the best in the game. Then the rest of the corners, you had Kyle Arrington, who was a really, really solid slot corner at the time. Brandon Browner, the same Brandon Browner who won the Seahawks Super Bowl with them. And Malcolm Butler, who came in, like I mentioned, at the, the last few plays. But really solid depth there. Safeties, you had Patrick Chung and Dev McCourty. Um, Patrick Chung is a pretty versatile player. He can get in there in the run game and, and stop the run. And Dev McCourty is just like an exceptional tackler. He really doesn't miss. It's really hard to tackle in the NFL, if you didn't know. Um, because players are so big, physical, fast. And Devin McCourty just makes it look easy. I actually really enjoy watching him. Even though I, I, I've i spoken that I'm not a big Patriots fan. Um 
because the Patriots kind of dominated the Bills for so long. I really hate watching um, them be successful. But Devin McCourty, just as a defensive player when I played in high school, he was one of the players that I looked up to and would watch highlights from him because um, just high football IQ, always in the right place at the right time, doesn't give up big plays over the top, um, and just really good tackler. So yeah, their safeties were definitely solid. And their linebackers, not not to be slept on either. Donta Hightower, really versatile player, can play middle linebacker, can play outside linebacker and blitz. Um, Gerard Mayo, who was a pro bowler for many years on the Patriots. And then, like I said, Jamie Collins, like listed as a linebacker, but really um, a really solid rusher. It wasn't bad at pass coverage either. He, was, he played a really good uh, hybrid role. But, yeah, those are three examples of teams that, I mean, the depth. If you have all three D-line, linebackers, and secondary, um, if you have two above-average starters or elite talents at those positions, those can carry you to a Super Bowl win or close out the win for you. Um, and it, it's just proven. If you don't have one of those things, here I'm going to give some examples right now of teams that didn't have those, and um, it lost them. So the Packers, 2014 NFC Championship versus the Seahawks. Um, the this I mentioned special teams. This was a combination of the special teams and secondary being bad for Green Bay, which led to them losing. The the game ender. Um, the the Packers would have won the game had they recovered an onside kick, but Jordy Nelson was ready to catch it, and uh, he was like a backup linebacker. John Bostic jumped in front of him, bounced off his helmet, and Seattle recovered. And I think that was that may have been overtime. And then I want to say Tremont, yeah, so then the uh, Seahawks got the ball, and Tremont Williams gave up a 40-yard touchdown pass to Jermaine Curse, And that just goes to show, I mean, Jermont Williams was solid for a few years in Green Bay, but that was towards the end. I think he was cut after that year, um, or shortly after, maybe the season after. But Jermont Williams wasn't the same player. And if you have a weakness at corner, teams are going to attack it, especially in the playoffs. I mean, Jermaine Curse, not a bad receiver for Seattle, but not somebody that you should be losing a 40-yard game-winning touchdown to. Um, so that was uh, that was definitely embarrassing for the Packers. And yeah, if you don't have if you don't have good defense and special teams, you won't be able to get to the Super Bowl or win it if you do get there. Another example would be Super Bowl 52, New England versus Philly. Um, Nick Foles led the Eagles to 41 points in the win, um, and the weakness for the Patriots was corner. For whatever reason, um, Bill Belichick decided to bench Malcolm Butler that game. And I'm not sure there was definitely something more than what came out in the uh, storylines about the reasons why, but Eric Rowe played significant snaps um, as like a slot corner that game. And he just got torched all game, whether it was by the uh, Eagles tight end Zach Ertz or Alshon Jeffrey or other receivers and stuff. But um, Nick Foles played a lights out game. So you got to give credit there, but um, I mean, the New England, their weakness was the secondary, and if you have a weakness um, on defense that's just glaring, you're going to lose in the playoffs, especially in the Super Bowl. An example this year would be Cleveland. Um, They're facing, so rewind, they're facing Kansas City in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes goes out. You have Chad Henney come in. For me, as, as rooting for the Browns there, I was just licking my chops going, if they don't if they don't make a huge play in a turnover, a turnover, which they did, but if they just need to expose the chiefs right now, because you have to have a better quarterback than Chad Henney. If you're a contender, like the chiefs are, um, because if Mahomes gets hurt again in the super bowl, they're just the Chad Henney, not going to make it very far at all. He's not, he old veteran quarterbacks are not what you want, 
especially in the playoffs. Um, it's rare that you see backup quarterbacks come in and win the Super Bowl. That's why it was so exceptional when Nick Foles did it. Um, but Nick Foles is a little bit younger. Yeah, Chen ha- Chad Henney, older, kind of weaker arm. And the Cleveland let him run. I think it was like third and 17 or something like that um, for a near first down. And then the, he picked up an easy fourth and one um, on a little sprint option to uh, – or sprint out route to – Tyree Kill and Cleveland. I mean, you can't let up a third and 17 run to an old backup quarterback. So their linebackers really let them down this year. Um, Their secondary in general was a little bit banged up, but you have to have depth and quality starters at key positions on defense to win the Super Bowl. And um, Cleveland didn't have it this year. And that's why they didn't get, um, they didn't even get close. So yeah, that was one thing. So now I'm going to talk about, um, I, yeah, I'll talk about the Super Bowl now. I think the game is going to go one of two ways. I think that either Kansas City is going to win in a shootout, or I think that if Tampa Bay wins, it's going to be because of um, a, either a combination of these two or one or the other. But they're either going to have to win the turnover battle um, and one of the Kansas City players, and or I guess you should say, uh, one of the players for Kansas City is going to have to suffer a major. Uh, one of the major players, excuse me, should is going to have to suffer an injury that's going to remove them from the game. Because I think that Kansas City is just too talented to lose. Um, I mean, they beat the brakes off the Buccaneers in Week 11. <laughs> they think they had like 450 yards of total offense or something, which is just like I'm surprised that somebody wasn't fired after that game for Tampa Bay. Because damn, it's the Chiefs, but like. Get your shit together. Like, that's just bad. Um, bad football. <laughs> Embarrassing, um, to say the least. Whatever scheme they played up did not work at all. Uh, yeah, so I think that I have the Chiefs winning this game. I'm not going to give an exact prediction because um, I just, yeah, I think it's too tough to say. Um, but I'm really excited to see this game play out. I'm going to be working, um, so I'm not going to be able to watch this closely immediately. So I, I probably, if I do an analysis, it'll come out um, you know, maybe like next week or the week after or something like that. But I'm really excited to see how this plays out. I hope it's a shootout because I love high-scoring games. Even if the Chiefs don't win and I'd like them to, um, I'll still be satisfied if, uh, if, if it plays for a good game and there's no obnoxious penalties or anything like that. Which I, And another thing that I'm curious to see you know, both Mahomes and Brady kind of have that star treatment they get from the refs. So I'm really curious to see who's going to get um, the, the, there's a, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, the turnover battle, but I think that the ref penalty battle is going to be a big one to watch because, I mean, for Tom Brady, he's had a history of getting those um, bailouts by the refs, whether it's um, in the championship game versus Kansas City. And I think it was 2018, he got like a phantom roughing the passer on an interception that would have ended the game, a guy literally bumped into Brady and they called it roughing the passer and he didn't even touch his helmet, um, which was what they were saying. So, I mean, you have that, you have the tuck rule, you have plenty of things where Brady's been bailed out and, and there's plenty of other quarterbacks that have been bailed out, but I, I hold Brady to a higher standard because if you've won six rings um, and two of them came off of BS penalties and you can literally draw it right down to those plays um, that I think that you're going to get a little, it's, it's pretty obvious to me that you're going to get if you've been getting some help from the refs. Um, so that I'm really excited to see the Super Bowl, and I hope everyone has a fun time. Um, be safe at your parties. Don't drink a drive, guys. Um, get an Uber or whatever. But uh, everyone have a, enjoy the game, and I will be back 
um, with some analysis. And I'll, I'm going to do, I have some plans for the offseason stuff. Um, I'm going to talk about what teams need to do to be able to get to the Super Bowl next year and more teams than just the Bills, Browns, and um, some of the other ones I've talked about. I really want to go in depth in some other ones. Uh, for people that aren't really fans of all these teams, and you can kind of get a little exposure, and hopefully it'll be interesting. And um, please, guys, give me feedback. Um, text me, message me. Um, rate on Apple Podcasts. I have still no ratings on there. Um, just go through and drop me, leave whatever, whether you like it or don't. Tell me why, either way. And um, let me, give me some feedback there. It'll really help out. So uh, everyone take care. Have a great game. And um, tell it straight.